a Podcast One production. Welcome to Allergies, where Professors Katie Allen and Mimi Tang from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute break down in detail the diagnosis, management, prevention and cure of allergies, as well as the facts and myths about intolerances and treating other diseases like asthma and eczema. We've talked a lot about food allergies and the different kinds of impacts that it can have on families. But now I want to move on to talk about other diseases like asthma and eczema. Uh, Katie, is there a relationship to food allergy and then moving on to developing other diseases? Mm. So there's something um, that um, we call the allergic march or the atopic march, where um, someone who may have early onset allergic diseases such as eczema and food allergy then go on to develop other diseases such as allergic rhinitis or hay fever and asthma. Um, and there's a quite a lot of debate about um, the, well, we know that it does happen, but we don't know if they're causally linked. So we don't know if one causes the other. So we know that um, children who have an atopic disposition, so they're more likely to make the um, allergy antibodies, the IgE antibodies, are more likely to have eczema when they're babies, they're more likely to have food allergy, and they're also, as they grow older, more likely to have hay fever and asthma as they grow into um, childhood and into adulthood. So the question, though, is uh, do you need one to get the other, or is it that you are um, have a predisposition to allergic diseases and then some other factor triggers a particular critical development of a disease or condition at a certain window of opportunity? So... Uh, For instance, we know that probably about half of the kids who have early onset eczema are more likely to have food allergy. And so children with eczema are more likely to have food allergy, um, and that's because the skin barrier increases your risk to develop IgE-mediated food allergy. Um, The question is, does eczema and food allergy increase your risk of hay fever and asthma, or is it just that you have an allergic predisposition and some other trigger makes you have hay fever and asthma? So those questions are still in the air to a degree. And in fact, our Health Nuts study, which has been following 5,000 children, sorry, from the age of one to the, we're now looking at them at the age of 10, will be able to answer exactly that question. And the the early evidence suggests that they are probably causally linked. We don't know in what way, um, and we, but we don't know, you know whether if you prevent food allergy or you prevent eczema, whether you can prevent allergic Hay, you know, hay fever and asthma. There is uh, a number of studies, and, and the reason why we don't know that at the moment is the studies would need to be quite long because eczema and food allergy occur in the first year or two of life, or the allergic type of eczema occurs in the first year or two of life, and hay fever and asthma tend to occur at four, five, or 10, or 15 years of age. So those studies would have to be quite long, as in the case of health nuts. Um, but there are studies looking at whether if you prevent eczema, whether you can prevent food allergy. And those studies are in progress. In fact, Mimi and I are involved in one of those studies called Pebbles, where uh, the investigators are using uh, moisturising cream uh, with a ceramide base, which is a molecule that's uh, increasing the skin barrier so that it's less permeable. Um, And then the idea is that if you prevent the eczema, you may actually prevent food allergy. So a lot of those studies are now starting to roll out because we're trying to understand that and when we look at, um, you know, the big picture of food allergy and where it fits into developmental conditions, we're interested in preventing food allergy um, by either preventing eczema or using some of the other factors. We're looking at trying to manage food allergy so that uh, kids don't have adverse events. And then we want to cure food allergy so the food allergy goes away, or we want to prevent that food allergy from progressing to other allergic disease such as asthma. 
do diseases like asthma and eczema, are they easier to grow out of as we get into adulthood than the food allergies? Well, asthma is actually an umbrella, and Mimi can talk more about this, but asthma is an umbrella form of diseases. So there's all types of, there's subtypes of asthma. Unlike IgE-mediated food allergy, you just have a food allergy. The mechanism is the same no matter what the food, and there's just all these different foods that can cause the same reaction, which is why research into IgE-mediated food allergy is so characteristically distinctive because we know it's in the first year of life that they develop it. It's very clear cut, and we can look at the developmental causes. Asthma is a broad bunch of whole lot of diseases. Uh, it can be an allergic type of asthma or a non-allergic type of asthma, and people talk about a neutrophil or an inosilophilic, which are different types of inflammatory cells that cause your asthma, or you can have an occupational asthma or an exercise-induced asthma. There's lots of things, or a viral wheeze type of asthma. So there's lots of different types of asthma. Some are called allergic, and Mimi will pick me up on the definitions of these, but and some are non-allergic, and they can occur at any stage of your life, though for all intents and purposes, most of them don't really express themselves till three or four years of age. You don't tend to have babies with asthma. They're more likely that have what we call viral wheeze. So viruses make them wheeze and some of those go on to get asthma. But there's some evidence that viral wheeze is a very non-specific condition and it's not caused called asthma. And the reason it's not caused asthma is the definition of asthma is reversible bronchoconstriction. So the bronchi constrict and that's reversible with uh, bronchodilators or Ventolin. Mm. That's kind of the clinical definition of asthma. But there are allergic types of asthma and there are non-allergic types of asthma and they can occur at any stage of your life. I think it'd be fair to say that if you have an allergic disease and you're a child, you're more likely to outgrow it than an adult um, over time. And we don't know why. For some reason, kids with allergic problems, they're the ones that might outgrow it. So if you still have the disorder, the allergic problem, when you're an adolescent, it's less likely you're going to grow out of it. So we don't really understand why, but these allergic problems are much more common in children and there is a tendency for children to outgrow their allergic problems, whether it's eczema, asthma or food allergy in childhood. But if you get to adolescence and you still have any one of these, then it's less likely you'll grow out of it. Can you develop these diseases later on in life? or, or does Absolutely. It, yeah. What Katie said before um, is important that we touch upon again. One of the things about asthma is the difficulty we have with making the diagnosis. So the fundamental feature of asthma is wheezing that comes and goes. The issue is in the first five years of life, you can have wheezing for many different reasons. One of the most common is that your airways are just smaller than everybody else's. And so if you get a cold and the lining of the airway gets a bit more swollen, you make a bit of mucus in there, you can develop wheezing. But it's not actually because the airways are constricting, it's because the lining has got a bit more swollen and because your airway is narrower, it causes the wheezing. So there's a reluctance and a a recommendation that we don't call wheezing illness in the first five years of life, asthma. Um, I would say, though, as an allergist, we can tell pretty much if someone who's got wheezing illness in the first five years of life actually has asthma because they might be someone who's got eczema already, some food allergy, they're making allergy antibodies against dust mite. That individual who's wheezing repeatedly, I would happily say, has asthma even though they're in the first five years of life. Now, theoretically, I'm not meant to do that Mm. because they could have recurrent virus-associated wheezing of early childhood. But there are certain features that would make you think, no, this is actually asthma, and we can call it asthma.
what are the management steps for diseases like these? Because we've got your free app, Allergy Pal, and steps for preventing food allergies. But when we're talking about other diseases, do we have anything to help prevent or manage them? So there's not a lot to do with um, prevention of these other allergic diseases. I mean, well, actually, you could say with eczema, there's this research going on, which is to prevent both eczema and therefore food allergy, potentially therefore food allergy. And that's these um, moisturisers, um, which are lots of people are using different types of um, natural moisturising factors uh, to add to moisturisers in the first few weeks of life when the baby's skin is so delicate. Um, but the other important prevention thing, which again, hasn't been formally tested in studies, but makes an awful lot of sense, is to avoid detergents because detergents are very disruptive to the moisturising layers of the skin in babies. So we sort of say don't soap the babies um, and we know that water is, is sufficient to clean off their skin. They're not out in the mud um, and, you know, they're very swaddled. And so most um, most baby soaps now um, are detergent-free. That You know, the companies have come in line with that and understand that so you have soap-free baby washes, I suppose. Um, but water is sufficient. You don't even don't need to buy those commercial products. Um, people talk about um, to prevent eczema, you know, are there, are there are other things that you can do, but there's not a lot of data out there about what you could do. Um, for almost all of the allergic diseases, breastfeeding is rec- recommended. Um, but when you actually look, does breastfeeding prevent, say, asthma? Uh, the, the research, and Mimi and I have done some systematic reviews on this, unfortunately, Breastfeeding doesn't seem to be particularly protective. There's evidence it might be protective against viruses and, and viral wheeze and therefore may indirectly be protective against asthma. Uh, there's there's some data that perhaps caesarean sections increases the risk of asthma. Uh, certainly, I don't think it's there. the evidence is there for food allergy. Um, there's not a lot of data looking at um, prevention of um, hay fever, but the allergic diseases in general, people look to the hygiene hypothesis. So um, almost all the factors we've looked at with food allergy, the hygiene hypothesis, uh, vitamin D, exposure to microbiome, the old friends hypothesis, exposure to parasites, um, all, uh, avoidance of pollution and, and pollutants, in particular cigarette smoking. Um, all of those things have been investigated. And I think the main one would be avoidance of cigarette smoking. Um, some people say avoid pets. Uh, to prevent hay fever and asthma, but it's not really clear to me whether that's because it just causes the symptoms rather than it's actually causing the problem. And there's some people who think pet exposure is good. So there's a little bit of messiness around these conditions because they're so long, they're so long term and late in life. While the research in food allergy is much clearer and cleaner as a result. So I suppose in summary, avoid smoking, breastfeed longer, try to avoid cesarean section. No one really knows what to do about pets, but pets probably protect against food allergy, so we'd recommend it. Keep your vitamin D levels normal. Um, We don't know whether it prevents, but it might prevent um, and avoid soap in babies. I think once you've got the condition, it's it's different. The, the, yeah, so now we're talking about management. Yeah. yeah. So as with all of the allergic problems, there are no cures at this time. I think it's nice to understand that asthma, eczema and hay fever are different to food allergies because these are these chronic conditions that can flare up and down. You can have a, an exacerbation of asthma, eczema or hay fever, but it's not necessarily related to an exposure Particularly, let's talk about asthma and eczema, actually, because they're the ones that are a bit different to food allergies. So in asthma and eczema, there are lots of different things that can make you have a flare of asthma or eczema. It can be stress. 
It could be, you know, irritation in eczema if you scratch your skin or go in in sand at the beach. It can irritate your skin, which leads to inflammation. So the flares of asthma and eczema are due to inflammation that's uncontrolled happening either in the airways or on the skin. And so the management approach to these conditions is very much focused around two things. One, minimising the likelihood that you have a flare And then two, if you have a flare, treating it aggressively so that the flare itself is short-lived, allowing you to be healthy for more time, more period of time. So when we think about asthma and eczema, I like to say to my patients, uh, for both conditions, the treatment revolves around preventers and relievers. In the case of asthma, you have inhaled medications that that are called preventers. They only work if you use them on a regular basis to minimise the airway inflammation. Then when you do get a flare of asthma, you come in with a reliever, that's Ventolin. And that opens up your airways to relieve the symptoms of wheezing, shortness of breath and cough. Well, the situation for eczema is actually pretty similar. So for preventers, we recommend what Katie was talking about, keeping the skin healthy, moisturising on a regular basis, and keeping the bacterial loads on the skin low. This is something interesting. People think that the triggers for eczema are allergies. Generally speaking, it's not. The most significant um, cause of flares in eczema is bacteria on the skin. Children with eczema generally have um, poor barrier of the skin, which increases uh, the the burden of bacteria that live on their skin. And these bacteria, particularly Staphylococcus, can actually activate the immune system directly. And so you can get this inflammation in the skin related to the bacteria that are living on your skin. So in terms of preventer for eczema, um, we recommend moisturising, bathing regularly to keep bacterial loads low and moisturising to seal the skin and keep it moisturised. What we know now is that um, if you keep the skin moisturised, it's less likely to be itchy and therefore you're less likely to scratch, therefore you're less likely to irritate the skin and cause inflammation. And in terms of the bacteria, this will sound funny to you, but we actually recommend bleach baths for babies. So we want to keep the bacterial level bacteria levels on the skin low and to do this you basically create um, a, a bleach bath that's similar in strength to a swimming pool so it's not dangerous at all the baby could drink the water it's fine but it's clean of course as against swimming pools um, you just dip wash the baby um, you can do it as often if, as you want actually we usually say around weekly if the skin's healthy and uh, you can actually increase to daily when you have active eczema in order to keep this bacteria load down and minimize the inflammation in the skin would you recommend consulting a doctor before oh yeah because doing any of that most definitely you yeah. need to have a very precise recipe yes for that <clears throat> or you, if you get the uh, concentration and makeup of the bleach bath wrong you can obviously cause some harm but yeah we we it's probably fairly readily available um you could ask your general practitioner about it um if you then have an active flare of eczema that's when we say all right you've got to come in with your reliever and the reliever in the case of eczema is topical corticosteroid now, people are scared of topical corticosteroids because they worry about the side effects of steroids. I don't steroids. even know what it is. <laughs> well, we refer to them as doctors as steroid creams. Patients hear them as steroid creams okay. and then therefore they're terrified of them because of all the bad press around anabolic steroids, right? 
But um, when we see patients, we spend a lot of time explaining that these corticosteroid creams are quite safe, especially the new ones that we have developed. Um, these bind quite tightly to the skin and what little does get absorbed into the body gets broken down within one circulation through the liver. So there really isn't a side effect at all. And the purpose of this is to dampen down inflammation in the skin. So we say, as soon as you get the rash, apply the cream immediately and aggressively. Um, it's like washing oil off a plate with water, I say. So if you've got inflammation, you want to get rid of it, it's the oil. You can use water cold water at a trickle or you can turn on the pressure and use hot water and you'll end up using a lot less water if you use hot water at a bit of pressure than if you trickle away with cold water you'll end up using buckets and buckets and the oil will still be on your plate so it's very much that concept of if you do have um, the eczema flare come in aggressively with your topical corticosteroid cream to get rid of that inflammation Allergies was presented by Professor Katie Allen and Professor Mimi Tang and was produced by me, Matt Dwyer, with audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more apps, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app and listen for free.